0: hi sunshine i'm natasha your host for the shine online podcast and the founder of soul studio In this conversational podcast, I interview the brightest entrepreneurs I know with the goal of empowering you to do business in a way that feels real to you. These conversations will bring you no fluff advice, honest discussions, and actionable strategies to help you shine online. There are so many bright brands in the online world, but there's always room for one more. Let's shine together. I'd love to share the review of the month. Natasha is amazing. It's hard to believe I only started following and listening to Natasha this year. I have already learned so much from this podcast and Natasha's Instagram. Her bright yellow feed is full of helpful tips and sunshine. And if you're interested in social media marketing, especially Instagram, you are truly missing out if you're not following her and subscribing to this podcast. Thank you so much for the incredible reviews that you guys left for season one. Let's get them rolling for season two because it's a really easy way to support the show, to support me, and to tell us what you like, what episodes you're loving, where did you come from, all of those amazing things. So just feel free to go right into the reviews, subscribe, and now let's get right into today's episode. Today, we are going to be talking about the most requested topic that I've gotten, and it's about your hiring process, your first hire, moving from solopreneur to a team. So I have the pro with me today, Tiana, and I am so excited to have you on the show.
1: Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to be here, ma'am. You know, this is my jam to talk about. So I'm ready. Oh yeah. You are ready. You are a pro at this. I am so
0: excited to just get all of your insight on these topics. But first I want to dive into your story. Tell everyone a little bit about you, how you got to where you are now in your business and a little bit about what you do.
1: Ooh, what a fun story. So I happen to be one of those people that was always, I didn't always know what I wanted to do per se, but I always had this like deep rooted interest in psychology, generally speaking. And I remember I was like one of those lucky high schoolers where they like offered psychology courses and stuff like that. So that's really where I got my start. And ironically, I swore up and down for years and years and years that I was going to be a therapist. And did the whole shebang, like went to school for psychology, um, started interning in a therapy office, very swanky, amazing, trauma-informed place, downtown DC. And through their direct mentorship, I actually pretty quickly realized I didn't want to be a therapist. Right. I was like, oh, this is what this looks like? Like, you guys make it look really good. (laughs) I don't think I want to do this. Right. So, actually, the fates really just helped me out. They, like, threw a sister a bone. So, long story short, a couple of industrial organizational psychologists showed up at my university one day. I was in the right place at the right time, listened in on the talk. Literally, I was a senior in undergrad when this happened, and I had already put in applications like to various universities for my graduate degree, mm-hmm. rescinded all of my applications. I was like, IO psychology is it. This is absolutely <laughs> what I want to do. And from there, it's kind of been history. But Natasha, I know you know what I'm talking about, but a lot of times when I say IO psychology, I get the deer in the headlights, right? right? So Let me break it down super simply. Literally, I.O. psychologists study human behavior in the workplace. So as Mm -hmm. colleague Adam Grant loves to say, like, we do the work to make work suck a lot less. Whether it's corporate or entrepreneurship, startup culture, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We're the people who like to dig really deep into the human psychology of where we spend two-thirds of our life. You know what I'm saying? Or, excuse me, a third of our life. Because we're working so much, and to me... It's just like, why do we as entrepreneurs, look, I'm going to call us out already. Why do we as entrepreneurs leave toxic environments, constricting environments, environments where we don't feel like we can be ourselves? And then sometimes, like, let's keep it real. We go out and create those same environments for other people, right? Whether it's intentional or just through the hustle and bustle of entrepreneurship, and we slowly but surely begin to neglect the fundamentals of what it means to lead people it happens. So really in a nutshell, that's kind of what's brought me into this space. It was the whole shebang of working with corporate and doing consulting in that capacity. And I don't know y'all, like I have got that entrepreneur spirit. So every time I would talk to a friend, I would inch closer and closer to y'all. And now I'm here and you can't get rid of me. And
0: I (laughs) love that so much. And honestly, I feel like a lot of people were like, just at me because it's so true where we often and think, okay, we're going entrepreneurship. You know, we're not going to have a boss anymore. We're not going to have all our crazy, you know, teammates. Like, look at us. But if anything, you have to almost be even more intentional about having a team, being a leader, stepping into that CEO role when you are outside of that corporate job because your baggage from all the things you didn't like about a corporate
1: can easily trickle into entrepreneurship. A hundred and fifty percent, seriously, <laughs> because and I always say like I'm not saying this to attack any of us or anything like that because don't get me wrong. in corporate, they have all of the resources. Like if a manager sucks, guess what? Their director is going to get them a leadership coach. They're direct, like, you know, hopefully, obviously. (laughs) If the company culture is decent, they will have the tools and the resources in place to help them improve and do better. But the reality is, as entrepreneurs, like you said, we have to be a thousand times more intentional because ain't nobody forcing us to do anything but ourselves. So, you know, that's why I like to have conversations like these, like spark that desire in us to be better and lead better, you know? Oh yeah. And I want to dive into
0: like probably one of the more controversial topics that I see and I've kind of absorbed myself. And I think that it's when whether you've like accidentally got into entrepreneurship or you planned your business and and went into it that way, whether you had a vision of being solo forever or having a team, like what do you think about like the ability to scale and have a team? or stay solo and small forever because I'm not sure if you've seen this, but I've seen where people almost either brag about having no team at all and carrying all the weight themselves – or on the other side of the spectrum where they almost glamorize having this massive team and that it's like the only way to success. So what are your thoughts on like those extremes <laughs> and how you kind of see them? Because I I mean, it's not just me, right? Right? No, it's not. <laughs>
1: it's not just you. And the first thing I would say is any extreme, especially for glamorizing it, I just give it the side eye. Because right. like, here's the thing. I've been a solopreneur. Right? Like I'm only in... I guess I'm going on year two of fully embracing the whole entrepreneurship thing. I was in consulting for a few years prior to that. And so the extreme of, you know, oh my God, I'm a solopreneur. I can wear all the hats. I'm Superwoman. I got this. I don't have to depend on anybody and nobody depends on me. It's awesome. Okay. First of all, like, let's keep it real. Every entrepreneur ever, whether you stayed in solopreneur or you did scale and build the team. We know the struggle bus that comes with solopreneurship. You're not fooling anybody, okay? (laughs) And then on the other extreme, having a team and, you know, the words, and I use these words too, it's the freedom, it's the flexibility, it's trusting people to have your back while you go on vacation, right? But it's also having difficult conversations. It's also knowing how to give feedback. It's also juggling schedules when you need to plan team meetings. Like it's all of those things too, right? So I'm one of those people. I'm very middle of the road when it comes to, you know, is one better or worse or one's more glamorous than the other? Because the reality is it 110, I keep saying percentages, I'm funny today, (laughs) but it, it so depends on you and your vision for your business. Because if you, you know, want to be this service provider, and you want to provide this particular service, and you really don't want to expand, this is what you want to do. It's your thing. And you have no desire to, you know, build a multiple seven figure business or whatever, then maybe your team only needs to be you and like two other people forever. And that's totally okay. Now, on the other hand, If you want to scale to multiple six figures, multiple seven figures, beyond, like who knows what the limits are here. And if you sit down and look at what actually goes into making that happen, and the answer may be more bodies, more people to contribute to that vision, then that's what you've got to do. But once again, it's all up to you and what you are trying to build hmm Yep. You hit it right
0: on the head because I honestly feel like people almost think that there is only one right way to go. And that like, once you get to a certain place, you have to hire and you have to have a ton of people, mm-hmm. but it really just looks different for everyone. And I think it's also very much a mindset thing. I think that I remember for so long, I was like, I love being a solopreneur. I like yep. doing it all myself. <laughs> oh, no one else can do it as good as me. Like, LOL. I'm laughing at you girl. Cause you were a mess <laughs> because yeah, I think we often, it's kind of a mind, thing where the other side of the spectrum, where you think the only way I'm going to reach my goals and stuff is by hiring almost too soon and too early versus like getting down in the mud and getting dirty and doing the solopreneur thing. So yeah, I think you gave some great advice there on just kind of like finding the balance, but I'm curious, what are the biggest mistakes that you see solopreneurs make?
1: Ooh, okay. Actually, I would say, and I know some people hire too early, but the majority of the time, the most frequent mistake I'm seeing is people hiring too late, actually. Right. In terms of just volume of people making that mistake, it is the, the latter for sure. And what I mean by too late, okay, first of all, let me like debunk the myth. When people are out here talking about hiring, I remember when I first started, I was like trying to think of another word for hiring because of what I noticed was people got so terrified and overwhelmed by the word because they're just like, good God, I'm barely pulling, you know, a consistent 5K month. How the heck do you expect me to hire like a full-time employee benefits, PTO. Oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed, right? And first of all, myth. Okay. So let me just break it down for you. When we talk about hiring, again, it's all dependent on your exact situation. So we may be talking about bringing on a 1099 contractor for five hours a week to do one specific job for you. Or we could be talking about another contractor who does 25 hours a week, Or you could be talking about a full-time employee who is, um, you know, the W-2 with benefits and does 40 hours a week, right? But it could be any of those and any combination of those. So the first thing I would say is letting the overwhelm and the fear of what it means to hire hold you back from getting the support that you really need is a big mistake.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That is good. And I even can think of, I feel like every time I've hired and now that I'm in a place in my business where I can kind of like plan and think ahead for my hires, Mm -hmm. I definitely waited too late where I was already in a place of just being so overwhelmed and not taking into account all the things that go into actually hiring because i feel like that's a mistake that i see is people thinking oh i'm going to hire someone and they're just going to take everything off my plate and i'm going to be fine and that was really easy but if anything hiring is like a whole other transformational process as a business owner in itself like what do those steps look like if someone's like thinking of making their first hire Or they're trying to be kind of like where I'm at, where I'm like, I'm like planning and like thinking ahead of like my growth and what next hires look like.
1: Oh, that's such, such a phenomenal question. So this, this conversation that we're having right now actually brought up in me, what led me to creating the three pillars of successful team building, like within my own company and how we help people do this. But we break it down through the three pillars. Okay. So it's organizational structure and hiring strategy. Then it's planning, orientation, and onboarding, like the training components of that. And then it's thinking about rewards and recognition. So how do we praise, how do we uh, say job well done to our new hires, you know, once they're a few months in the role and they do great things like bring us new clients or help us crush a launch or whatever, right? And so when you break it down that way and you start again at that, org structure, hiring part, that's where we really start to break down everything that goes into that. And like you said, ma'am, it's actually more than people really think about. And again, that's why we say waiting until it's too late, like waiting until the world is already on fire for you can be a big mistake because you're already overwhelmed. And then whenever you have 50 applications come into your inbox, good God, I was already overwhelmed and now I have to read 50 applications. Like, what am I supposed to do with this?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it's not only picking the right person, but it's understanding that there is a period that has to go where there's onboarding, Mm -hmm. understanding communication, you know, setting up tools. Like, there's so many things that go into it. So, yeah, I could not agree more. I wanna dive into roles because this is another thing that I see where people just maybe are having assumptions around what certain roles are or they don't know exactly what they need. So like my first question is like, how do you figure out what's a good first hire? What's the hire you need? But one of the biggest, I think most common hires that people think is going to be that next step is like, what's the difference between like a virtual assistant or like an OBM, like an operations or business manager? Like, what is the difference? Because I get the question all the time. I've had a VA, I have an OBM. And I think people assume that maybe that's the only right hire for them, but they also don't know the difference
1: between the two of them. Right. Because a lot of VAs get treated like OBMs and they don't get paid like OBMs. Let me tell you. Uh, a lot of like no shade to the leaders who are listening, but a lot of y'all's team members come give me the real tea. Let's be clear about it. So I know what's going on. <laughs> but let me ask, let me answer the VA OBM question first and then we'll backtrack because the, the first question has a bit of a longer answer. So in regards to the differences between a VA and an OBM, so for anybody who just needs us to fully break it down, VA is virtual assistant, OBM is online business manager. One of the key differences that it's like the phrase that I like to go with is VAs are the doers. They execute on specific tasks. They typically are not in charge of coming up with your strategy, building the tasks on your behalf. Like if you have a launch, it's not really a VA's job to be like, okay you're launching this here's what we got to do step 1 mm-hmm. step 2 step 3 step 4 step 5 step 6 that is not their job the va a virtual assistant is literally someone who typically now let me let's keep it real a lot of vas operate outside of the scope so i'm just going to say that there are some amazing vas out there that do it and don't get compensated for it. But typically they should be given, you know, a set of tasks, a set of continuing tasks and expectations that they are responsible for, and they are executing on those. But everything is driven either by the OBM, or you as the business owner, okay? On the flip side, the OBM, a lot of times they are more of a strategic partner. And look, I'm not trying to get overly complicated, but when you bring an integrator into the mix, and that's a whole nother debate, what's OBM versus integrator? What's the difference, right? (laughs) They are the strategic partners. I'll just say a lot of times integrators are more of a high level, like I am basically your partner, like I'm second in command strategy-wise, but they not only step in and get their hands dirty with task execution, they typically also help with strategy. Uh, They help manage other members of your team. They may be managing any of your contractor relationships, even if they are technically a contractor themselves, right? So Mm -hmm. if you've got like a graphic designer or, you know, an audio technician for your podcast or whoever else you're working with, that's more of like that freelancer, not really a part of the core team. A lot of times the OBN is directly in charge of managing those relationships, a VA does not and should not. And if they are, I'm just going to hold y'all accountable right now. Y'all need to uh, promote them and pay them accordingly.
0: Right. And honestly, you broke that down so beautifully, so perfectly. And I think it's something that I even really didn't know about. And I think that it's, yeah, no sweat to VAs, but I think that often VAs are like, over-delivering and that's where the expectations kind of get skewed where you don't understand how much should I be paying for this certain type of support. But yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things is if you're wanting to get a virtual assistant, understanding that there is some type of delegation that needs to happen. They And of course, yeah, they're eventually going to work pretty independently on those set tasks. But I think people assume that VAs are just going to like implement the strategy, think of the idea. And just do all these tasks when that's actually your role or your OBM's role, which I think is where a lot of people get confused.
1: Yep. And a lot of people bring in a VA and, you know, they have a a short list of tasks they want them to do. And then about a month in, they're so frustrated because the VA is just looking at them like, what else? What else? And they're just like, why do I have to keep coming up with things? It's like, because that's what you got to do, guys. They're just executing on these tasks for you.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I think just from my experience of having both, um, I think that a virtual assistant is a great First hire because it can kind of help with just smaller tasks that you already have systems and processes for that you don't need to be doing that you can hand off to someone else and kind of just oversee versus having to actually do. But I do think when you're in that like scaling mode, um, Sarah, if you're listening, I love you so much. My OBM, <laughs> um, she honestly is like my second brain. Kind of like you mentioned, like she helps me plan, she helps keep me in check on if I'm doing too much, if I'm not doing the right things. She helps manage my teams, my clients. She knows the ins and ends out of my business. And once you get to a point where your business is growing so much, that I think can really help lift the
1: overwhelm that comes along with it. At least that's really what helped me. Absolutely. A lot of clients that I've worked with that have ended up hiring OBMs versus because, you know, some people will hire a VA first, some people will skip the whole VA thing, and go straight for an OBM. But everybody equally is obsessed with their OBMs nine times out of 10 if the hire was a good hire. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, it's all about getting the right person because, in a lot of ways, you're like literally like getting married, getting in a mm-hmm. relationship with them. So having that like compatibility, whether it's not only the comp like compatible like skill set, so like they're great at something maybe you're not great at, but also making sure that they're just like they just handle everything with grace. We just love a good OBM. Uh, um, but let's get into the other type of hires. Like, what are some other smart strategic hires that you can see people making, um, and kind of where would those play a role? Like how can people identify what they're actually needing to hire
1: for? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because it actually circles back to what my answer for your first question that we kind of glossed over is. So in regards to figuring out who you need to hire, not only like to help you manage the day to day, but also who your business strategically needs you to hire in order to reach your goals and make that vision come into fruition. Right. I have a tool and it's the least sexy title in the world. It's called a daily work log, but the outcome, the result is super sexy. So when I have this conversation, I always bring up this tool because it is the best way to break things down in the simplest way possible. So a lot of us have seen different documents that help you like track your tasks, right? That's nothing new. But beyond that, what the daily work log helps you do is it helps you document all of your tasks over the course of about a week. And then beyond that, you categorize them based off of what you as the CEO need to keep doing, what you need to automate via a system, some sort of technology, and then what you need to delegate. So let me talk about the automation piece first. Systems experts are my best friends in this space. I am obsessed with them. I am like, you know, I'm not like a systems junkie. I'm like a forced systems junkie because as a Teams person, I understand how how important they are. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I always, always say the first thing I want you to do is look at that dang on list and anything that can be automated, please do not hire somebody to do those jobs. So, I'm not saying don't hire a systems expert to help you systematize it. Yes, please do that. What I am saying is nine times out of 10, one of the the second biggest mistake I see people making is they hire a VA to do a job that can be done by a system like a Dubsado or a HoneyBook or whatever. Anything that can be automated by technology, it's not a good use of a human being's time because if technology can automate it, it's probably a really boring job. Um, And beyond that, it's a waste of your money. Because again, you know, paying $100 for a year subscription for some platform versus paying someone $100 a week, two very different commitments. Okay. So that's the first part of the daily work log is getting those things off of the list and out of the way. So we're not accidentally hiring somebody for something that a computer can do. Okay. Now the second part, the delegate The reason that I have you do the daily work log for about a week is because a lot of us batch work, right? So if you can see all of these tasks that you're doing on a daily basis, and then obviously there's a section for tasks that you don't get done because this is real life, um, and you see them over the course of a week, what I want you to do is look at the patterns and start to observe what patterns are coming out because to circle back to your original question, ma'am, you asked what are some good strategic hires, right? So I'll use myself as a personal example. A while ago when I did the daily work log, some of the the patterns and the tasks that I really needed to delegate, what screamed out at me was a freaking podcast manager. And you know the work that goes into this podcast, Ooh, ma'am. Yes.
0: Hello, Ashley. Thank you for doing all the amazing work. Shout
1: out to Ashley. <laughs> See, Natasha knows the deal. There is an Ashley <laughs> helping her with it, right? Because anybody who runs a podcast knows a single episode can take five hours of work start to finish, from the graphics to all the things. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, I could, I could give an exhaustive list of all these, you know, graphic designers, audio tech, all these different jobs, Pinterest experts, whatever that different people can do. But what I always boil it down to is look at your daily work log, look at the patterns that are screaming at you with the work that you are doing that you really shouldn't be doing or the work that's not getting done, that would really be moving the needle in your business. And when you see that pattern, that is the role that you should be hiring, especially if you check the little box that says, is this a needle mover? Is this a revenue generating task? Oh man, if you're seeing that box checked and there's a pattern for it, yeah, that's who we need to bring on. Ooh, that is
0: so incredibly good. And I, that is literally how I decided on a podcast manager. I What has been holding me back from ever getting one or ever starting my show was that I knew I couldn't handle the tasks on my own. And it was something that I knew was going to move the needle forward. It's something I knew I didn't want to do, wasn't great at doing. Um, and that's when you make a really good hire. And I feel like there's so many great tips there. And I actually have a very, I have a selfish question. Ooh, <laughs> ask it. So when is it good to make a hire for a role that maybe doesn't exist in your business? So an example of this is everyone knows I am not the bestest friends of with Pinterest. It gives me <laughs> hives. It makes me nervous. I don't do it. And I know uh-huh. there's a lot of opportunity there. And YouTube is another little thought bubble in my head. I'm like, I would love to be on YouTube. I feel like it'd be great. I could repurpose it, make them into blogs, then put them on Pinterest. Like, so there's like these little these ideas that I have. I'm like, this could be a cool new thing to add to my business. How do I know when I'm a very busy gal already?
1: Is it Mm -hmm. worth me outsourcing that right away? Do I have to wait till it's making money? I think it depends on the goals for your business, right? So, for example, let's say. And look, this is like a little bit of like a business coaching hat, but you have to kind of think about it this way to make the decision, right? So if a goal is to start a YouTube and there's a revenue goal tied to it, not necessarily because like you're just going to get a gazillion hits on YouTube and they're going to pay you all this money all of a sudden. (laughs) But maybe you know that it's going to generate a number of leads and your typical conversion rate is 5%, whatever, right? So if that is a concrete goal in your business, and if you are in a financially stable place in your business then I say go for it. So what I will say is a lot of people I know will actually consult with their financial advisor Mm -hmm. to make that decision because sometimes when it's like a desire to expand the business versus a, this business is on fire and we need this role, it's a lot easier to put off, right? So that's why I oftentimes look at it from mostly a financial perspective. It's like, if we can swing this and I believe in this idea and it's tied to a vision I have for the future state of my company, if my financial advisor gives me the go ahead, I'm hiring the dang on thing because it's not, it, you know, if the world's not on fire, it may not be, you know, some immediate return on revenue or anything like that. So that's why we want to make sure we're in a financially stable place. But, you know, if you wait, once again... If you're just waiting until something happens or whatever, you never know how things are going to change. 2020 has taught us (laughs) that life is not quite as predictable as we thought. So I say go for it.
0: Oh, yeah. I love that advice because I think that people maybe even feel guilty or overstressed about the money part of hiring. They're like, can I afford a new hire? You know, can I afford to scale my team? Like, will I be able to sustain these people? And I think that's really important things to, you know, consult with, whether you have a CPA, a bookkeeper, you know, some type of financial advisor, because I definitely do that as well. And I think it's really smart because then you can feel confident about knowing you're able to support. Someone financially because taking on a team is like a responsibility. So making sure that you can pay them on time, you can keep them for you know however long you're supposed to in the contract, all those types of things. So I feel like that's a really great tip.
1: Absolutely, and you know there's like different market research you can do. Whether it's like on onetonline.org to look at you know across the country industry standards. You know if you're hiring within this particular niche and you need to start talking to people to get a feel for what the going rate is. It's really good to be empowered with that information, but you do also need to know like, what's your cash flow? Exactly. <laughs> like, what do those things look like? Because,
0: yeah, like you said, it's a major responsibility. Yes, absolutely. I wanna talk a little bit about maybe service providers or people that are wanting to move into like an agency model. Okay. So, how does it look different whether you're hiring for people that are like helping you with your actual business? versus hiring people that are actually helping with client work? Does that hiring process look similar or a little bit different?
1: I would say the hiring process looks very similar, almost carbon copy. But what I would say is the emphasis in certain elements of it are a little bit different. So for example, I'm a huge stickler for company culture and that sounds super corporate, but the reality is if you hire even just a single VA, you are creating a culture, like let's keep it real. Either it's a nice place to work and y'all laugh and send each other memes or whatever your vibe is, or (laughs) they roll their eyes every time you jump off Zoom. Like (laughs) it is what it is. You know what I mean? So With that in mind, I would say when it comes to hiring someone who's more so internal, helping you with the day-to-day, obviously culture is super important, but on the flip side, if they're in direct contact with your clients, it's like a gazillion times more important. Like, let's keep it real. So an example that I'll use, I was working with this amazing marketing coach a few months back and she is building on her marketing division. So it's kind of turning into a quasi um, agency model where she is hiring marketers and teaching them her process, her coaching philosophy, and now they will be expected to go out and deliver it according to that standard. For obvious reasons, there's like an added layer of emphasis on like that culture fit. You know, do they communicate to our clients correctly? Do they understand the mission and vision of why we're doing this work? Do they understand why marketing is just so, so important to the core value of what we bring into the world? You know what I mean? And so that's where it's just a little bit different because, as opposed to someone just having a skill set, but maybe, you know, maybe they're not the best communicator, but like who really cares because they're really just writing your copy like behind the scenes and they're not talking to anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Versus if they're out here being a representative for your company on your behalf, teaching your methods, it's extremely important that they can uphold the standards that people have come to expect from your business. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that is spot on. I love those tips. And that makes me want to dive more into mm-hmm. team culture, company culture, because it's something maybe people don't think about. They think of their brand, they think of their team, but they don't think of how their brand values trickle into the team culture that they essentially build. So what are some tips that we can use to be intentional about building a good team culture?
1: Yes, I love that you already brought up brand values because what I find is, you know, obviously, as entrepreneurs, most of us have at least like a rudimentary education in marketing and sales because, you know, we have to. And I like to think about things like team culture a lot in the same capacity that we think about marketing. So when you say your brand values kind of trickle into your team culture, they absolutely do. And guess what? As a team dynamics consultant, I would advise you to have core values. So maybe they're a direct reflection of your brand values. Maybe, that they're, maybe they're a little bit tweaked. But understanding how you do what you do is probably one of the most important elements of actually building a team culture. So to use myself as an example, again, um, some of our core values are we are nothing if not intentional. We are incredibly resourceful. We are objective. We are empathetic to the challenges of others, just to name, well, I think I only missed one, but we have about five of them, right? And literally, ma'am, down to my interns, like onboarding my intern team, they have to know our core values because the way that we do anything, whether it's writing an Instagram caption, putting together an episode for a TIE pod, or directly engaging with our clients. We expect Team TIE to go about that work in a certain way. So biggest tip, if you don't have them, put together some core values. And if you need support, come find me. There's a ton of free resources everywhere you can find me about putting together core values.
0: Yes, that is so incredibly good, and I mean, that's something I'm like even thinking now. I'm like, oh, we should be really intentional about that moving into the new year when we're getting new tires because our new hires, mm-hmm. new tires, wouldn't that be cool on the <laughs> on the Soul Studio Mobile? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But um, I just really being intentional about that moving forward. Cause I think that a lot of my hires kind of already knew my brand so well that that kind of already clicked. And it was like something that we didn't really establish cause it was already established in a lot of ways. But I mm-hmm. think that really getting like clear and solid on that, I think is just so incredibly important. Um, and even thinking to uh, Melissa Griffin, I'm one of her coaches for her course students. And that was a huge thing when I was just being integrated as just like a coach that is just like one hour, you know, a month. And I just speak to their core students, but they were like, these are our values. These, how they, you know, they, how they show up. And it really makes sure that not only that I'm a good coach, but that I'm coaching to kind of follow, you know, what they're teaching their students and how they want their community to feel. So like the same thing applies to your own teams as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think what you brought up about, you know, some of your hires have kind of been from within the community. So it worked out that way is such a good point. Like there are pros and cons to hiring from within your community versus from outside your community. But that is one of the pros for sure, is that typically they already do have an idea of how you operate in the space, your vibe, what you stand for. So if they apply for the job, they're like self-selecting into that, you know? Right. Yes. So good. I feel
0: like we covered so much. And if people are either making more hires in their business, making their first, I feel like this is going to be so helpful. So I want for you to share. I know you said there's free goodies. I know we have a tie pod, of course, which they can listen to our conversation together. So let everyone know where they can learn from you more. They can connect
1: with you and indulge in all your content. Absolutely. We've got all the goodies. So simply put, if you Know my name, you can basically find me anywhere. So on Instagram is probably where I am 90% of the time. I am at Tiana Tai. You can find me by the same name literally, LinkedIn, Pinterest, YouTube. And my podcast is called Tie Pod, T Y E P O D. But anytime you want to think about teams, hiring, transformational leadership, especially as an entrepreneur or as a startup founder. I'm your girl. We've got tons of free resources on all of the platforms to help you out.
0: So good. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. And I can't wait to share this with everyone. So thank you so much.
1: Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to
0: today's expert guests for joining us. If you want to connect with today's guests or check out any of the important links mentioned in the show, I've linked the details in today's show notes. Join the conversation at hashtag the Shine Online Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating if you love what you've heard today. We really appreciate it and it helps support our show. Remember, regardless of where, where you're at in your entrepreneurship journey, there's always room for your biz to shine. I'll see you next time.